The madness continues as the Sweet 16 will tip off tonight in the first of four games over the next two nights and into the weekend. Who will punch their tickets to Houston as the last four teams standing? The baseball season commences one week from today, but the buzz was what took place over the last two weeks with the World Baseball Classic, culminating in the last at-bat between Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Was this good for the sport? A New York legend and NBA Hall of Famer, Willis Reed passed away as we look back on one of the Everlasting moments he gave us in sports history, plus everything happening in the association, on the ice, and NFL free agency leftovers as I get set for another rapid-fire, fast-paced sports podcast for your edification. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour, where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it, and with that said, let's get it, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People reading. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. With another weekend on the horizon, a step closer to opening day and the best sports month of the year, I'll be present to gift wrap another high wire act on this microphone with plenty to chirp about, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. As we're just seven days, one week from today, raising the curtain on a baseball season. Eight days from today, another lap around the track for yours truly. The day after that, April Fool's Day, where we'll usher in the best sports month of the year. But between now and then, there's actually a quiet hush in the sports world. And yes, the Sweet 16 will pick up from where it left off over the weekend, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I get the feeling that over the past few days, with a sprinkling and a smattering of some things that have happened in the world of sports, it actually has been relatively low-key. But we know come Monday, we'll recap everything that's happened over the course of the weekend with the NCAA tournament. We'll have just a few days leading into the baseball season, NBA, NHL, whatever else that's going on before we get to next Thursday. And then obviously we'll be in overdrive when the calendar flips over to April as we got a lot to sink our teeth into. But right now, let's get into the tournament. Sweet 16 will kick off tonight. And over the course of the next 48 hours, you're going to have eight games, which will set us up for the Elite Eight Saturday and Sunday. 
And the storylines heading into this Sweet 16 are four or five teams that I'm going to look at as ones that are either on everybody's radar or ones that you wonder whether or not that they're going to have that Cinderella run and keep wearing that glass slipper to get to Sunday night or even late Saturday to be one of the final four teams standing. And I have to start off, I'm going to go with the favorites and then work backwards. So the teams and the two one seeds that are left here, I'll start off with Alabama since they are the top seed overall with their first two games obviously behind them. And as they look forward to this weekend, we know that the university and the team itself has had a little bit of a dark cloud heading into it with the events that happened in January with Darius Miles and All-American player Brandon Miller. And of course, it's been a scenario where things have not really percolated to the point where on a national scope that this has been brought up. I know the coach Nate Oates has tried to sweep this under the rug and is going to do whatever it takes to protect his kids. I understand that. And even though he may disagree with his stance and where he's coming from, but his job is to do his best to shield his team and obviously his best player who still has an armed security guard following him as long as they're alive in this tournament. And he's going to do anything to deflect any type of criticism, any type of negative energy or news toward his team and his players as they get set for this Sweet 16. Early on, you could look at that and say, no big deal. But now as he gets deeper into this tournament and as they continue to win, then I'm sure the buzz is going to start to create to where they're going to look at this player, whether he plays great or not, Because with them being the one seed overall in this tournament, a lot of people are going to look at this team as they go deeper, as they get past a regional semifinal, as they get to a regional semifinal, let's say win and get to a final four. All they're going to hear throughout the course of next week is this team, this player, this circumstance, and the unfortunate and untimely death of that young woman going back to January where Brandon Miller was a part of and an accomplice. And there may be a groundswell as to why this kid is playing, not only being in the tournament, but just being on the team overall. So that's the first thing. And then you have the Houston Cougars, who have made it to this point with their All-American guard in his own right, Marcus Sasser, and we know he's nursing a leg injury to where it was going to be boom or bust, knowing that their top player is going to have to carry them through this tournament to get to not only this point where they're at, but to pretty much their backyard where the final four is going to be played at energy stadium, the home of the Houston Texans. And they're just two games away from doing that. And with the Cougars and everything that they've had to, I'm not going to say endure because they've only lost two games this year. Mind you, one of those games were at home to temple of all teams, but we do know that Houston is a team that has a top coach in Kelvin Sampson, the aforementioned Sasser, And with the way they've played throughout the course of the year, not to say that they have a fast track to get themselves to a Final Four and that destination being in their own dorms, their own beds, they don't have to travel. I'm sure the carrot has been dangled knowing that the coach is going to hammer this message home to say, these are going to be two tough games, people. It's not going to be a cakewalk. Nobody's going to give it to us. But we know that if we could get past this weekend to get through Miami and then after that to possibly get through either Xavier or Texas, and wouldn't that be interesting to have 
Houston and Texas to play in the regional final. Texas, a team that has not been able to get over the hump. And of course, they would like to have a little bit of home cooking to be able to not go too far to play in a final four. But as a one seed representing the Midwest region and knowing that the Cougars have this opportunity in front of them and knowing that it's going to be tough because even with them playing Miami tomorrow night and then having an opportunity to either play Xavier, who as we all know, they could score, and Texas, they're a team that could be hit or miss. I wouldn't be surprised if Xavier wins, having the familiarity of watching them play here in the Big East. But with that being said, I think that that would be a game for that state, for that area, to have Houston and Texas go at it for the right to get to a Final Four and play in that state, and more so for Houston to play in that city to represent that school to make it to a point where, just like I mentioned, they wouldn't even have to get on a plane. They wouldn't even have to pretty much get on a bus. I'm sure they could just drive in their own vehicles to get to NRG Stadium. And of course, as a team, they will take a bus. But we all know it's a hop, skip, and a jump from their campus to where the Final Four will be played. And we all know that's the big incentive for Kelvin Sampson and company to get themselves to that Final Four. And then on the flip side, the other couple of teams that I'm going to be looking at, obviously you got to take a look at Princeton. They have been on this magic carpet ride here, winning the two games, beating Arizona. And for Princeton, they're just going to have to continue to play the way that they've played over the course of these first two games. I understand that this is going to be a tall order because the stage is a little bit bigger. They're now into the Sweet 16. You have to wonder what their mentality is going to be when they face a little bit of adversity. And we all know Creighton, another Big East team that has played pretty well here. And they can score and they can do some things offensively that I'm sure Princeton could dream of. And if Creighton gets out of the gate rather quickly, how is Princeton going to be able to thwart that? If Creighton gets out to, let's say, a 14-4 to lead, or they have a significant size lead heading into the latter part of the first half, how does Princeton hang in there? How does Princeton stem the tide of not letting this game get away from them? And that's what we're going to look at here. Because if they're going to be a team late in that first half or right out of the gate in the second half, which could be critical whether they're down double digits or even if they're within striking distance, a couple of possessions, even if they're down by six or even eight for that matter, which we understand that's three possessions. How Creighton and being able to try to bottle them and not let them get on that run to start the second half to put the game away, so to speak, is going to be very indicative of how Princeton is going to be able to navigate this because now they're stepping up in competition. And that's not to say that with Arizona with them being a two seed, that maybe the Wildcats took them lightly. Maybe they looked at that scenario where, ah, we'll be all right with Princeton, no matter at what point of the game or the type of momentum that these games with runs and with stoppages and just being able to extend leads or hang in there the way Princeton has. But to me, Princeton's really going to have to Not necessarily play their game because prior to the start of this tournament, nobody knows what Princeton's game was. Because a lot of people, I'm sure, didn't watch Princeton. And even though they're in the next state for me, but of course, they're on nobody's radar when it comes to the tournament. And here they are, front and center, to know that they have an opportunity to get themselves to a regional final, and dare I even say, to a Final Four. 
I think it's going to be unlikely. I would think Creighton is going to put the brakes on Princeton. The Tigers, they've had a great run so far and one that they could certainly be super proud of. But do I see them in this game? I don't. Let's just call it as we see it. And then when we look at FAU, a team that has been on a lot of people's radar, despite the fact that nobody knows where they play or where their campuses are. By the way, it's in South Florida. And for the Owls, this is uncharted territory, despite the fact that they were in the national landscape of being in the top 25 as a team that crept up and was put into everybody's consciousness. And here they are in a Sweet 16 as a nine seed, but you could pretty much look at them as a team that is a Cinderella based on where they play, how a lot of people aren't familiar with this team, and even with their first two games, all right, they won an 8-9 game against Memphis, and then they beat Fairleigh Dickinson, who hung tough as we talked about there on Monday. But I also feel that despite this being into the deep end of the pool, they're going up against a team in Tennessee with Rick Barnes, and we know that He's had his success from time to time, but a coach that has never been able to get over the hump in his own right. And Tennessee, who's had a very good year, and one of their top players, Zakai Ziegler, who's not going to be there as he tore his ACL. And as we all know, that a lot of these teams in the tournament, including Florida Atlantic, has a lot of good guard play. But I could see Florida Atlantic being not only in the game, but even winning this game. And I don't want to attribute it only to Rick Bars and his lack of success when he gets deep into these NCAA tournaments. But I think Florida Atlantic, with the way they played this year and how even with a lot of teams not knowing who Florida Atlantic are and them not being on a lot of people's radar when it comes to competition goes, but I think this Florida Atlantic team is for real. And I think that they could actually win this game. Now, would I be surprised if Tennessee... Handily beats Florida Atlantic? Absolutely not. But I really do believe that even as a nine seed, and you can look at this team as as a double digit based on their history, because it's not as if Florida Atlantic has been a mainstay when it comes to March Madness. But based on what I've seen and based on what I've read, I look at Florida Atlantic as a live dog here. Unlike Princeton, because based on everything that I said, I could see this stage being a little bit too big for them. And even with Princeton going up against Creighton, it's not as if they're going up against Kentucky or a blue blood like that. But I really feel that maybe for this past week, not to say that they're happy to be there in Princeton, I think FAU is going to look at this opportunity and say, no, we belong. And they're playing on a stage unlike any other. And that is pretty much right down the street from me from where I'm currently sitting at in Madison Square Garden. So when I look at the top two teams in Houston and Alabama, and then the flip side of that being Florida Atlantic and Princeton, then you have all those teams in the middle. Whether UConn, they could be a team that, as we talked about, could get to a Final Four. Michigan State, I get it that this is not a vintage Michigan State team. I'm not even going to go back to the championship team of 2000. But when we look at Tom Izzo and everything that he's done, When we take a look at coaches, and especially throughout the landscape of this tournament, there aren't a lot of guys that you could look at and say, in a big spot or in a pressure-packed moment, that this is the guy I want to have on my sideline. 
It's not as if there's a Rick Pitino there. It's not as if there's a Mike Krzyzewski there. It's not as if there are a lot of other top coaches that we've seen throughout the course of the last decade or so, the Jay Wrights of the world, et cetera, that you can look at that sideline and say, oh yeah, I could see this coach going to match wits with Tom Izzo. There aren't that many left. And that's where he has the decided advantage as he goes up against Kansas State and a team that has a lot of good guards as well. And we know Michigan State has a top guard in their own right with the one Tyson Walker who is from this area, from Long Island. And I think Michigan State, they have an excellent opportunity to get to a Final Four, not only just based on the coach, because as we all know, you just can't have a guy like that and automatically think that they're going to make it to a Final Four. Absolutely not. Because even when he gets by them, you got Florida, Atlantic, and Tennessee. But there isn't that top team standing there. There isn't that number one seed that's been dominant. And as we all know, college basketball in this year does not have a dominant team. So we can see Michigan State get there, as well as Arkansas, who had a deep run last year. They made it to a regional final before losing to Duke. And this is a team that also is very live has swam in these deep waters and knows what it takes. I understand not to get to a Final Four, but they know what it takes to get to a regional final. So this isn't going to be uncharted territory for the Razorbacks either. And then, of course, Gonzaga, UCLA, that's going to be, I would think, a fight to the finish. That game is going to tip off late tonight as the final game. And who knows? Is it going to match what we saw there in the semifinal game a few years ago in that Final Four? where Gonzaga won on that long, almost half-court shot by Jalen Suggs to beat UCLA. And remember, UCLA was an 11 seed, if I'm not mistaken, that year. And now here is UCLA as a 2 and Gonzaga as a 3. And as I said, going back, what was it, 10 days ago, I look at Gonzaga as a team to get to a Final Four, not only because of what they've done here over the last few years, but because they've been a team that hasn't, sparked that discussion of being a top-seeded team in their region or a top-ranked team throughout the year. Now, yes, of course, they've been in the top 10 and they flirted with being at the number one seed throughout the course of the year. But this isn't a Gonzaga team that a lot of people have circled or penciled in as, yes, this team's going to be a national champion when it's all said and done. And that's who I picked at the beginning. And that just because I picked it doesn't mean that that's going to be the case. But... I think whoever comes out of that game, Gonzaga and UCLA, I think will get to a Final Four. And that's going to be tough because you have Arkansas and UConn, the winner of that game, will be the last team standing in that region. And then we look at the games on Friday, whether it is San Diego State, and that's another team that a lot of people can't really gauge or really take a look at, especially if you're not a dying-the-wool college basketball fan. And the Aztecs, They have a team that does not have a lot of scoring. Yes, they could defend. And they are very resourceful in a sense of they just know how to play as a cohesive unit. Because there aren't many standout players. Their leading scorer is a guy named Matt Bradley who's averaged 13 points a game. Everybody else is averaged under 10. That's all you need to know about this Aztec team when it comes from an offensive standpoint. So you know they're going to play tenacious defense. They're going to be resourceful from a standpoint of not only getting those 50-50 loose balls, but playing smart, not playing above the rim, and knowing that they're going to have to take high percentage shots in order for them to win a 56-54 type of game. 
And they're going to go up against the top seed in the country in Alabama. And earlier, we touched on Alabama as far as their coach, the players, and the expectations of this team being a one seed overall and getting to a Final Four. Then you have Miami, who's going to go up against Houston. This is a team that I picked to go to a Final Four. And in their own right, again, another team with a bunch of very good guards led by Isaiah Wong. Jordan Miller and is a team that could score. Headlined by Coach Jim Laranega, who knows his way around the tournament. And these parts, when it comes to getting deep into a scenario where he could get his team to a regional final and maybe even above that to a Final Four. So this could be a very and highly competitive game and I could see even Miami winning this game. I really can, but I think Houston's going to prevail based on what I discussed earlier with Marcus Sasser and his health and obviously the coach Kelvin Sampson who is very good in his own right. I could definitely see the Hurricanes and Houston being very competitive and even come down to the wire. Can I see Miami winning? Absolutely, but I think Houston will prevail here and move on to the regional final. And then Xavier, Texas, this one to me, I think it's a toss-up. Xavier, as we know, we could score, as I talked about before. Texas, a team that historically has not been able to get over the hump and try to get themselves in a position where they can win a national title. And Texas is led by their guard, Marcus Carr, who is their leading scorer and a guy that obviously could impact this game for the Longhorns. So when I take a big look at this, I could see either one of these two teams winning. I could see them obviously being evenly matched. This is a game which you could obviously look at it as a pick and I don't know what the point spread is, and I don't look at point spreads when it comes to college basketball. But only because of my familiarity with Xavier, I'm going to pick them. And when we take a look at the big picture here, as far as the Final Four goes, I'm going to stick with my two choices there with Gonzaga and Miami. I'm not going to divert from that. But as far as the other bracket, I'm going to take Michigan State. I just see them getting to a Final Four, watch them lose to K-State tonight and not even make it to a regional final. And in the other region, I'm going to pick Alabama. I can't recall the last time we haven't seen a one seed in a Final Four. And we already have two that have been long gone in Kansas and Purdue. I think Houston's going to get picked off. And I could see Alabama. Can I see them losing? Let's start there. San Diego State, Princeton, Creighton. I think Creighton could give them a tough run more so than Princeton. But I'd be shocked if Alabama doesn't make it to a Final Four. So that'll be the one seed that I think will make it to a Final Four. And then your stage will be set. Now, if I were to look at this from a network standpoint, and mind you, the game is going to be on TBS. It's not on CBS like it once was. I think the Final Four that the networks would want I think they'd want Gonzaga or UCLA there. Only because Gonzaga has been in everybody's consciousness in college basketball over the years. And UCLA is Southern California. So they would look at that for starters. I think they would want Michigan State only because, not only just because of that region and Michigan, but Tom Izzo as well. And him being the face of Michigan State basketball. Alabama, I'm sure they'd want maybe a lot of it for... I hate to say this for negative reasons. Yes, because they are the number one seed in the country, but there is going to be that storyline of what took place, unfortunately, in January. And that shouldn't even be 
a focal point, but I'm sure that as the week goes on, if Alabama does get to the, the Final Four, that that's going to get brought up and that's going to get discussed. And who knows if that's going to either fuel the Crimson Tide or that could just engulf them. And then in the other region, I'm sure they would probably want Houston there only because they would have home court advantage in that regard. Maybe even Texas. I know they don't want Xavier or even Miami there because Miami is not a big market, although they do have a sports scene, obviously, down in South Florida. But it's not hurricane football as it once was. It's hurricane basketball. And Xavier, nobody's thinking that Xavier is a team that everybody's going to want to run to the television set to watch them in the Final Four. So if I had to pick, it would probably be Houston, Alabama, Gonzaga, UCLA, or Michigan State. Either one of those teams to make it to a Final Four, they would do handstands. Anything less than that? Could you imagine if it's FAU, Arkansas, San Diego State, they would want Princeton there only because it's a Cinderella team. But let's say San Diego State and Xavier, that would be a nightmare for TBS. And no offense to those universities by any stretch. But if you want the exact opposite of what I said as far as what the networks would want to see, and maybe the Dynamo College basketball fan, but if you had a Final Four of, let's say, Arkansas, FAU, San Diego State, and Xavier, ooh, that would be a tough watch. It would. No offense, but that would be the case if you're just a casual fan and with everybody's brackets that would be just in the bottom of the garbage can. But that would be one Final Four that could be forgettable from a casual sports fan or not a Dinah Wool College basketball fan. Even a Dinah Wool College basketball fan, which they probably would watch, but still, I'm sure that would be tough for them to keep their eyeballs open to watch a Final Four consisting of those four teams. So, we shall see how this will all transpire and recap it on Monday. A couple of coaches, Rick Patino, no shock there, signs a six-year deal with St. John's. And then the outgoing coach, Mike Anderson, who's going to file a lawsuit over being wrongfully terminated for cause. Now, I don't know if that has anything to do with Patino, but he's going to try to do what he can to extract more money from the university. So with Patino coming in, they're going to have a time of going into courts with the former coach. So that's neither here nor there. I'm sure my guy, John Irving, who is a diehard Red Storm fan, I know he was... A little bit reluctant to cheer this particular coaching hire, but you can't argue with it. He is a guy that could probably bring St. John's close to, I'm not going to say the heyday of the 80s with Lou Carnesecca, Chris Mullen, Walter Berry, Mark Jackson, etc. But with the transfer portal and him trying to recruit players and bring them to New York, Madison Square Garden, I get it. Luke Arneseca, the Big East, what it once was, was 40 years ago. But he could try to sell them on that and make them a, not a national powerhouse, but at least some relevancy when it comes to the Big East and be a team that maybe could make a tournament and win a couple of games. If that's what he's going to sell these kids on, he's going to do that and then some. So we'll have to wait and see what Patino does as far as his recruiting class of 2023-2024. 
And then sticking with the Big East, Ed Cooley, the former Providence head coach, is now the current coach of Georgetown. Cooley, who had been in Providence for, what, 12 years and had a very good run there. Let's see what he does at Georgetown as he's going to have to compete with Rick Pitino to bring the said recruits to a university that their heyday is pretty much the same timeline of St. John's. And granted, they had a smattering of success under John Thompson three, making it to a Final Four 16 years ago. But since then, they have been just in the NCAA men's basketball wasteland. Let's call it as we see it. And even if they try to get back to the Halcyon days, bringing back Patrick Ewing, and yes, they did have their day in the sun winning a Big East title a couple of years ago, but that was it under the Patrick Ewing tenure there for six years until this last couple of weeks. But we'll see what Ed Cooley does as they try to get themselves up off the ground and maybe, just maybe, have some relevance just in the Big East, forget about nationally, as they try to pick up the pieces from just two god-awful years there down in D.C. And as I stick with the hoops and go to the association, NBA, you've had a few guys come back from injuries and one from a suspension, John Morant, who played yesterday and now has been ingratiated with the team after his episode there a couple weeks back, which we've talked about ad infinitum. So now let's see if the Grizzlies, who are currently alone in second place as Sacramento has hit a little bit of a slump here. So Memphis, who currently has a two-game lead over the Sacramento Kings in the Western Conference, and with Morant back, you would think that they're going to, I'm not going to say cruise, but you would feel that with about 10 games left to go, and not to say that two games is insurmountable, But you would think that Memphis will be entrenched in that two seed when it's all said and done. And having their best player come back will also be a bit of a boon. And as I talked about just the other day and even a couple weeks back, how this is a very interesting time for the Grizzlies as they get themselves set for the playoffs, for a run which has to go deeper than a conference semifinal. To me, they have to get to a conference final or bust. It will certainly look at this stretch where they did not have Morant And for them playing relatively well with him out of the lineup, and we saw that last year, if you recall, but now as they batten down the hatches and they get themselves ready for a stretch run into the postseason, this is the time. And one more time, it has to be conference finals or bust for this Grizzly team. You also had Carl Anthony Towns return, and he's a guy that's been on this shelf since November 28th with a high calf strain where he made it back into the lineup last night against the Hawks contributed did pretty well scoring 22 points and they're going to need him because the T-Wolves as of right this moment they are in that 7 to 10 range where they're currently at 500 37 and 37 just a game behind Golden State to avoid the playing tournament altogether but we know that that 7 through 10 and if you want to even include the 11 and 12 seed with the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans, those teams from 7 through 12 are separated by one game. So we know that a three-game losing streak could put them out of the playing tournament, or a three-game winning streak could actually put them into the top six and won't have to worry about a playing scenario. So 
Let's see if Carl Anthony Towns could use this as a fine tune over the course of the last couple of weeks as the T-Wolves, I would think that would make the playoffs and maybe having their best player back will be not only of service, but you think that will give them that extra boost and that push that they need. But with that being a logjam there between, think about this, the T-Wolves are two games back from the Suns, so all right, I'll leave that alone. But they're just a game behind Golden State, a game and a half behind the Clippers, if you want to even go that far. And the Clippers are going to be without Paul George, who suffered, I believe it was a knee injury, to where he's going to be reevaluated in two to three weeks. So you can forget about the rest of this regular season. They're going to make the playoffs, but we're going to have to wait and see after that two-week time frame on whether or not he's going to be healthy to play in the postseason. So the Clippers could come back to the pack. Golden State, as we all know, they've been hot and cold and they have one two in a row. And let's see if they could put themselves in good position where they can avoid the play-in tournament altogether. But with the T-Wolves and having Carl Anthony Towns back, the Mavericks, they're slipping big time. And they got into a little bit of controversy last night in that game against Golden State to where in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, the officiating crew did not inform the Mavericks that it was supposed to be the Warriors' ball. So they inbounded the ball to where they had an easy dunk. And as it was, the game was decided by two points where Golden State won 127 to 125. The game is on the protest by the owner, Mark Cuban. Who knows with these protests, they've never been reversed. Or they haven't been to the point where they had to go back and replay the game or replay the final, I would think, 138 in the third quarter through the rest of the game. But because of that officiating snafu, how they did not inform the Maverick bench that it was going to be Warriors ball so they can't get back to at least defend the inbounds play. And as it was, they had that easy dunk by Kevon Looney. So we'll see if that's going to ever come into fruition where they do make up the game. Chances are it's not going to be the case. But that was just an awful break and just a terrible call or play, I guess you could say, by the officials not congregating and making sure that the Mavericks were told that the Warriors are going to have the ball so they have to come back and defend. So that's the Mavericks and for them to have to deal with that as they're plummeting in the Western Conference. So with all that's going to take place, and that's pretty much your one big race here because when we take a look at the league on a whole, the East is what it is. Who knows if the Celtics are going to catch the Bucs and they do play each other a week from tonight in Milwaukee. So that's going to be a pivotal game to see if the Celtics get inch closer to the top seed. But as it is right now, it looks like they could be a two seed. They're just a half game ahead of the Sixers who Embiid left the game with some tightness, I believe, in his leg. So that's something they're going to have to monitor if you're a Sixer fan. And when we look at the 7-10 in the Eastern Conference, not much to discuss. Miami, although they're tied with the Brooklyn Nets for the 6th seed, but the Nets have percentage points ahead of the Miami Heat, and they also have a game in hand, or two games in hand now that I look at it. But not much of a race there when it comes to the playing scenario, unlike the... Western Conference, but as we get through these final 8-10 games of the season, we'll certainly continue to keep our eyes on that. And also Zion Williamson's another guy who is cleared for activity, but is still a couple of weeks away. We know Zion has had injury after injury, can never stay on the court. And the Pelicans, who have had a lost season, and it's a shame, because the Pelicans, they're still a half game behind the Lakers for the 10th spot 
in the Western Conference. So if Zion could come back, and mind you, if they're still a couple weeks away and the season is going to be over at that point, and they've already played 72 games, so they have 10 games left. Who knows what New Orleans is going to do here over the course of these next two and a half weeks. But if they do make it into the playing tournament and Zion is standing there, who knows? Maybe they could surprise people, shock the world, make it into the final eight and take it from there. But besides that, that's what you got there in the NBA. But I do have to say one last thing. When the... News came down that Willis Reed had passed away, I believe on Tuesday, at the age of 80, and it's unclear as to the cause of his death. I understand that this incident took place 53 years ago, come May 8th of 1970, and once the calendar gets to May, and I believe that day was a Sunday on Mother's Day. Now, mind you, I was a year old, so I have no recollection of the game. But the reason why I bring up that date... That was Game 7 of the NBA Finals between the Lakers and Knicks. And in Game 5 of that series, Willis Reed went down with a muscle tear of his left thigh. Where he didn't play the rest of Game 5. He didn't even play in Game 6 in LA. And Game 7 was uncertain whether or not he was going to play. And that was at Madison Square Garden. And all the reports leading up to the game, Willis Reed did say that he was going to play in the game. But the reporters media, and I'm sure the broadcast, they're thinking, wait a minute, Willis Reed had to be carried off or hobbled into the locker room at Madison Square Garden, did not play the rest of that game, did not play Game 6 in LA, how in the hell is he going to play Game 7? And then, dressed in his warm-ups, coming out of the tunnel, to the shock of everyone in the building. When the white uniform or the white warm-up of Willis Reed came out of that locker room with very little fanfare, but when the eyeballs were attached to number 19 and him getting on the court to taking a few warm-up shots, the building erupted to the point where the Lakers, Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, were in amazement, were in awe, were in utter shock. That when they heard the roar of the crowd and that they looked to the other side of the floor and they noticed this imposing figure who was not on the floor for the last game and a half, warm-ups, etc., that it was Willis Reed. And when he got into the game as a starter and he took two attempts and made both of them in the early portion of the game, the Lakers were cooked. And the reason why I bring this up is because to this day, when a player gets injured in any sport, and they happen to come out of the locker room or the chances of them playing are highly unlikely and then all of a sudden they come out and they're either on the basketball court, football field, on the ice, on a baseball diamond, you name the stadium, arena, building, field, etc. They're always going to refer to that moment, that quote-unquote Willis Reed moment to where they came out of nowhere And from the shock of everyone in the building and the sports landscape, that not only that this player suited up, but actually played, performed, and had an impact on his team's chances to win a game. And another indication of that, think about Kirk Gibson, 88, against Dennis Eckersley. How he had a bad leg and a bad wheel, and he couldn't play. 
And of course, one of the more famous home runs in baseball history. Game one of that World Series. And that was his Willis Reed moment. And there's countless others for players that had to gut out injury that no one expected him to play. And Willis Reed was the embodiment and was the pioneer of a player that showed grit, guts, determination, and overcome whatever pain and obstacles that he had internally to will his team to victory as the Knicks did that day in winning their first NBA championship, May 8th, 1970. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Willis Reed family. And think about this. Will Chamberlain, game six, had 45 points and 28 rebounds in that series. And in the next game, when Willis Reed defended him, had four points. And Chamberlain, as we all know, as great and as dominant as he was, he was the type of player where you had to wonder what was in his chest and what was between his ears at times. And that was, for him and that whole Laker team, once Willis Reed got onto that floor, the team was done. And that was all based on what Willis Reed did on that day 53 years ago. As for the NHL, there really isn't much to discuss, people. I wish I could get into certain scenarios. I'm just going to regurgitate the same thing that I've pretty much been saying all along when it comes to these races, especially with the wild card in the East. Same for the West, for that matter. But there isn't much that I could even pick at, whether it's something that happened on the ice or a certain game, achievement, etc. Everything is pretty much status quo and I get it as we get to the final week and a lot of these teams have played 70 games some have played 72 a lot of these division races are nip and tuck I know especially out west where they're now it's pretty much suffocated in the central and the pacific to where you have Dallas and Minnesota both tied at the top with 90 points now the wild have more wins but Dallas I guess for whatever reason they currently have that Top spot there in the division. So that's something to pay attention to. Vegas, LA Kings, Edmonton, they're all separated by four points, each separated by two. So that's something we'll take a look at with Edmonton now winning five straight. So they're getting into a good groove here late in their season. And then in the East, we know the Bruins have been running away with this going back to January 1st. And Toronto and Tampa, let's see where they land as the Leafs are just three points ahead of the Lightning there. And they're going to match up in the playoffs for a second year in a row. Carolina has a two-point advantage over the Devils. And then the Rangers, that will be an interesting first-round matchup. Devils and Rangers in the opening round with the Penguins and Islanders rounding out the wild card there with 82 and 80 points. The Panthers just one point behind the Penguins there as the Capitals, Senators, Sabres, you can forget about them. And then you have Seattle, Winnipeg, Calgary, and Nashville hanging around on the outside looking in as far as the wild card goes. But other than that, I have nothing else to really report as far as particular scenarios with games, milestones, things of that nature as we get to this final home stretch here in the NHL season. Now, conclude with these two things. NFL, some leftovers when it comes to free agency. A lot of the activity that had taken place going back to last week and even early on this week has come and gone. I know the Jets signed Miko Hardman to a one-year deal as they traded Elijah Moore, a young receiver, part of that core there last year with Denzel Mims and Garrett Wilson. 
trading him to Cleveland as they also traded the third round pick with the Browns for their second round pick. So they'll actually have back-to-back picks in the second round come next month at 42 and 43. So that was a very smart move by Joe Douglas trying to get more weapons to let's see what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. So you have now Alan Lazard, Miko Hardman, who's the speedster, as we all know from his days in Kansas City. And then you have Garrett Wilson there. So let's see what's going to happen in the Aaron Rodgers to New York Jets. As I said, wake me up when he gets here or if he gets here. So you got that going on. But besides that, nothing really of note when it comes to NFL free agency. Let me just double check that before I pivot to baseball. No, nothing much. I know the Raiders signed Austin Hooper, the former Atlanta Falcon tight end. And what else we got there? Other than that, nothing much to really get into as the NFL will quiet down a little bit as we get into the month of April. And obviously in the middle of the month, when all the talk is going to be about the draft, about the quarterbacks, who's going to be drafted at the top? Is it going to be C.J. Stroud? Is it going to be Bryce Young? Will Will Levis go up the draft board and maybe snag one of those top two or three spots? Also, Anthony Richardson, the kid from Florida. So that's going to be a lot of buzz about three weeks from now as we get not set for a draft, but that will be here before you know it as the NFL will kind of take a little bit of a pause here between now and then. And then the baseball to wrap up, As we talked about, the very top a week from today is the start of the baseball season. You know I'll have a full preview, over-unders, predictions, etc. The World Baseball Classic, I know for some, was a success based on the a lot of attention that it got, especially with the crowds, just the atmosphere, the electricity in the buildings that we saw, whether it was in Japan, Arizona, of course Florida, which culminated in the USA-Japan final, And I know all the talk was about the last at-bat. And I get it that the baseball media is trying to hype this up and get some momentum to the start of the baseball season. With that Shohei Otani, Mike Trout at-bat, I will say this. Was it intriguing? Without question. With him being the tying run at the plate, where all it took was a home run to tie the game, was it theater? To a certain degree. But to hear that it was an epic at-bat, or, oh, this was one for the ages... Or this was one that we're going to remember forever. Maybe in WBC circles, but as far as baseball overall, come on. Can we be serious? Yes, I did bring it up the other day on my social media feeds. And I did talk about it because, hey, two outs, bottom of the ninth. The score is 3-2. to two. Now you have Mike Trout going up against Shohei Otani, teammates on the Angels. And as I said then, and I'll say now, what were the discussions in the locker room when they both met in Arizona to reconvene during spring training these last eight days or so? What were the discussions then? Or were there any discussions? Were there just a couple of side eyes? Were there a couple of nods? Were there a couple of, hey, you got me, a handshake and that was it? Or did they really get into the at-bat? Did they really get into the thought process? I understand that Otani probably knows very little English or whatever communication that he has with Trout is minimal, but I'm sure maybe they did expound on it. Who knows? The media hasn't really touched on that as of this recording, but for it to be the end-all, be-all, like, oh, wow, we just saw something that was just extraordinary and is going to turn baseball on its ear as we get ready for the start of the season, all I got to say is relax. Let's pipe down. It's nothing to really get overly excited about. Yes, when you do see that, you're like, oh, wow, let's see how this plays out. And how it played out was a 3-2 slider where... 
Trout didn't make any contact. It's not as if he fouled off seven straight pitches or there was some intensity in the at-bat where you said, ooh, what's going to happen here? No, it was very, I'll say anticlimactic, even though it got to 3-2 and Trout did strike out on a slider and Japan wins the WBC third time in the Classics history that that happened. Dethroned the Americans from their title back in 2017 and they will play this again, not in four years, but in three years because remember, they were supposed to play this in 2021 but because of the pandemic, they had to postpone this a couple of years so they're going to reconnect in 2026, the Classic. So you don't have to wait the full four years for this tournament, and it did get a lot of buzz, it did get a lot of attention, a lot more than I thought it would, and I didn't follow pitch by pitch, I wasn't fully invested, yes, I did keep my eye on it, but not to the extent where, oh, I gotta turn on the TV, because this is what's happening tonight, USA-Venezuela on Saturday, or what have you, so I didn't get crazy about it, but I did at least keep in mind of what was going on And that was pretty much it. And then you have Jose Altuve, we talked about this on Monday, who got surgery on that fractured thumb from the pitch that he took from Daniel Bard. And he's going to be out minimum two months. And maybe even longer, depending on how this heals. That's a tough break, no pun intended, for the Astros second baseman as they will defend their World Series title come next week. And other than that, as far as baseball is concerned, I got nothing else for you. Now, was this good for the sport overall? When we take a look at the last couple of weeks, to me, it's an exhibition. It's different from Major League Baseball. Yes, you had Major League Baseball players perform. Yes, you did have a lot of excitement. Like I mentioned, the buildings with the horns, the whistles, the flags, the banners. I wish baseball could be like that throughout. And this is going to be a very interesting time. And I'm going to touch on this next week with all the rule changes and the pitch clock, and the game being sped up, I wonder what that's going to look like, not just the first day, but the first week, and into the first month of the season. Because for the baseball fan that has been lost in the wilderness and has given up on baseball, will they come back? Will the younger fan be compelled to watch because the games are a lot faster? How about marketing these players the way they should? And I get it. You have plenty of American players, but you do have players from abroad. I like to see Jazz Chisholm on the cover of an MLB video game, but he plays in Miami and a team that's not going to be competitive, or at least so we think, so who knows? But you have to market these guys in order for the younger folk to gravitate to the sport. Because look at the NBA. They gravitate to the stars, not the teams. Why can't baseball do that? The NFL is the NFL. They're in their own stratosphere, but right, you take the Patrick Mahomeses, you take the guys that everybody's familiar with and you put them in the commercials, the Travis Kelsey's of the world, who knows, I'm sure you're going to see a lot of Jalen Hurts commercials, etc. Aaron Rodgers, those guys, they stand by themselves. So let's see if baseball could do that as we, one more time, seven days away from another baseball season that I'm highly anticipating and hoping that it gets off to a flying start. Will the WBC have some influence? Eh, I don't think so, but any bit of confidence in the sport for the fan or anything that's going to be positive could certainly help that'll do it my good people another episode just about in the books as always thank you so much for passing by to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports 
Your participation is never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, praise, or just follow me on social media, you could do so at the following. YouTube, at JReels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast. Twitter, JReels1, just a number. The JReels Podcast at gmail.com for any of those questions, comments, suggestions. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And in closing, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. I love talking sports. It's been like that pretty much since birth. My passion, my fire, my energy, fury, whatever you want to call it, because I love to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, feelings, critiques, praises on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>